Well, marriage is what's before us this morning. And as the college pastor at a church that encourages and promotes people to get married at a very young age, uh, I do a lot of premarital counseling. I do a lot of weddings. Had a wedding this last weekend that I got to be a part of. And uh, I, I love that opportunity to engage with a, a young couple who's looking forward to marriage. Their eyes are full of hope and expectancy, and I get to bring some reality to their life. Um, <laughs> No, I, I, I do love premarital counseling because it's a great opportunity for me to check in on, on my marriage and ask, how am I doing on these things? It's a great opportunity for me to go back to the, the foundational role of a husband and, and ask, okay, how am I doing in loving my wife the way that I'm called to love her? Ephesians chapter five, uh, how am I doing in those things? And uh, it's a challenge to me to say, okay, look, I need to, to make sure that, I'm, uh, that I have that excitement and that joy over marriage that this pre-wed and, and engaged couple has as well. It's, it is exciting. It is joyful. Marriage is, is something that is such a, a gift to us from the Lord. It was instituted by God, right? Genesis 2.24, when God said this, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The, the first marriage, Adam and Eve, in fact, marriage in and of itself is the longest standing societal institution that is still in effect today. Though if you listen much to the briefing, you know as well as any of the rest of us do that, that marriage is something that is as an institution and as an institution created and defined by God under attack today. That the role of a husband, the role of a wife uh, is, is being challenged left and right. That the definition of those who are qualified to be married is being reformed and, and reoriented. That terms are being redefined. Some terms are being invented. And now what we're left with is so many marriages that look absolutely nothing like what God originally intended in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. Having a good, strong, biblical, godly marriage is a necessary qualification for a man of God. It's a qualification for a pastor and elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Therefore, an overseer, a pastor, an elder, and we would say even in our series, a godly man must be above reproach, what we looked at last week. And then he says right after that, the husband of one wife. Same thing in Titus chapter 1, verse 6. If anyone is above reproach, and then right after that, the husband of one wife. Marriage is a gift from God entrusted to us, and we as godly men need to be committed to our wives. We need to be faithful to our marriages. And maybe you're saying, well, I meet this qualification. Box checked. I only have one wife, so I am set. But the Greek is actually, he must be a one-woman man. The idea is he must be completely devoted, faithfully committed to one woman, his wife, in all respects, in all regards, in his marriage. Marriage, again, under attack from so many different angles in our society as, as godly men, as quality men of God, we must be ready to defend and honor marriage. And that's what we're going to look at this morning together is how can we as godly men honor marriage? Our marriages, other marriages in the church, some of you in the room may be single, widowed, uh, maybe you, you were divorced at one point in time, but this morning you still, just as the rest of us do, have a call on you to honor marriage. And so that's where we're going to be this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. The writer there says this, 
let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Again, as Christian men, you and I have an obligation, regardless of our marital status, to uphold, to honor, to defend God's design for marriage. Let marriage be held in honor among, what's the next word? All. Among everyone. The word honor here, as the writer says, held in honor, it's a word that means to have great value, great worth. It's a word that means to to consider something to be precious to us. And he's saying that marriage to to you and I needs to have that, uh, that idea, that understanding, that value, that worth, that preciousness to us. In fact, the same Greek word is used in 1 Peter 1, 7 to speak of our saving faith. It says that our, our tested genuineness of our faith, and then here's the word, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. More precious, more valuable, more worthy even than gold is our saving faith. And the writer of Hebrews is saying we need to have the same understanding of, of marriage. Or later in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, speaking of how we have been ransomed, not with money, not with, with worthless things, but in verse 19, but with the precious, the valuable, the worthy blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so men, for you and I, we need to understand and have this idea of marriage as, as something that is valuable, something that is worthy, something that is precious, something that is to be honored. And that's one thing that, that we need to work at, one thing that we need to fight for in a culture that wants to redefine it and attack it and undermine it in every way at every turn possible. Our first point this morning is this, recognize that value. Recognize the incredible value of marriage. The immense, recognize the immense value of marriage. For most of us in this room, we're probably not tempted to go after the idea of of redefining marriage tempted by the, the culture's attacks on marriage, are we? But maybe for those of us in this room, we've lost this understanding of the value of marriage because marriage has become so commonplace to us. Maybe you've been married for a number of decades. Maybe you've been married for even just five or six years, but it's, it's so commonplace to you now, you're just used to it that you take it for granted and you don't really think of the value of it. Well, recently, uh, we discovered that we have a, a slab leak in our home. And water started to trickle out under our garage door, and then it started to fill our garage, and then we uh, decided this is not normal, something wrong is, is going on here. And so we got the plumber out there. Well, the plumber, when he got out there, he looked and he said, yeah, you've got some sort of leak, we'll have to get the restoration company out here, they're going to cut open your walls, and it's going to be a giant nightmare. And in the meantime, if you want to use water, you need to go outside and manually turn it on and off at the, the shutoff valve, but leave it off for the majority of the time, because you have an active leak. Then all of a sudden, something that I've always taken for granted, which is to be able to go onto the faucet and just turn it and get water out of the tap, becomes something that I value way more than I had before then, right? Because now I'm out with all the black widows and everything else, climbing under the bushes to try to get to the shutoff valve to turn it on every time that we want to take a shower. And then when the water's on, you're not even enjoying it when it's on because you're thinking to yourself, okay, the water is actively leaking and I'm watching the numbers tick by on the meter in my head going, how much money is going out the, the, the drain as literally as the water is, is leaking out of my house. But it's something so simple as running water that we think about very little until it's taken away from us, right? 
Well, men, we're so familiar with marriage that just like having access to to tap water in our home, we take it for granted. We assume it's always going to be there. We assume that, yes, we're married. Okay, so great. Fantastic. Let's move on with the rest of life. But we need to daily stop and consider the value and the gift that marriage is to us. Let me go back to Genesis chapter 2. Here's what went into forming and creating marriage. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. What's the first thing in all of creation that is not good? Man's loneliness, yes? God says, I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. And we answer to that, amen. Yes? So, verse 21, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed it up in its place with its flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this At last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So there's God's creation of marriage. But here's the reality that we need to remember. God didn't have to do this, did he? He was under no obligation to you and I to create the institution of marriage. He was under no obligation to Adam to answer the need for companionship. None, but because of his love for us, because of his his kindness and his goodness to us, he created the institution of marriage, which you and I, if you're married today, now get to enjoy. It's not a right. It's not something that we were, uh, that we deserved. It's not something that we earned. It's a gift from God. And so as we think about recognizing the value of marriage, some questions to think through for us. First, Do you regularly thank God for the gift of marriage? Just like running water can become so familiar to us, we don't stop to to be thankful for the gift that it is. Same thing with marriage. Do you regularly thank God for the gift of marriage? Second, do you praise him for that kindness and goodness in creating marriage? Does that thanksgiving for the gift of marriage, does that overflow into praise and worship of God? for marriage. Third, do you rejoice in and give thanks for other godly marriages? Marriages that you see that are an example to you and your wife or that have been an example to you and your wife. Or maybe you're uh, older and and you and your wife get to be a a mentor couple to another young couple who are growing in their marriage and, and learning what it is to be a godly husband and wife. Do you rejoice in that? Do you give thanks for that? Fourth, Do you grieve over sin in marriage? Fifth, do you hate divorce the same way that you hate abortion? You think of abortion and the the recoil that you have over that. Does the same recoiling come to you when you think of divorce? A relationship that God created, that God ordained, that God set in place never to be divided. Sixth, 
do you defend God's design for marriage? When it's attacked in our culture and our society, and I'm not saying do you defend it to the TV screen when you're listening to the news talk about another attack. I'm saying do you speak up for a biblical definition of marriage? Seventh, do you speak highly of marriage? When you're talking about marriage with your coworkers, when you're talking about your marriage, when you're talking about your wife, how are you talking about her to other people, to your kids, to your family members, to your coworkers, to your friends, to your brothers around the table? Are you speaking well of her? Are you speaking highly of marriage? Such as somebody would walk away from a conversation with you about your marriage and say, wow, that guy really enjoys his relationship with his wife. That guy really loves his wife. He really values his marriage. Eighth, do you laugh at our culture's attacks on marriage? The sitcom stereotype of marriage, right? If there is a marriage anymore in our sitcoms, it's, it's nothing to be modeled, right? It's, it's a joke. It's a farce. And I remember that started even when I was growing up watching Home Improvement. Tim the Toolman Taylor. He wasn't much of a, a husband, was he? He was kind of a, a buffoon, a, a caricature. And then you got into other shows like Everybody Loves Raymond. If you ever watched that growing up or, or ever watched that when it was on. And, and I remember, you know, she was the leader in that relationship. No doubt about it. Just ways to, to undermine God's design. And now today it's just a, a total farce if it's there at all. Ninth, and finally, do you strive to improve your marriage? Do you strive to improve your marriage? When it's all working together, one, one man, one woman, joined together for life by God, a, a godly marriage can be quite an amazing force for the Lord. When you see it in action, a husband sacrificially loving his wife, a wife trustingly submitting to her husband, a couple opening up their home in generous hospitality, raising children in the fear and instruction of the Lord, enjoying each other intimately in a way that, that glorifies God. That, that type of marriage can do great things for the Lord. And so we need to value marriage, value the gift of marriage, and recognize it daily. Well, the writer of Hebrews goes on, and he could have gone anywhere at this point. He could have gone to the subject of serving one another, or sacrificing, or encouraging each other, or praying for each other, or communicating with each other. All very important parts of marriage, but instead he goes to the marriage bed. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Speaking to a room full of men, most of whom are married, I think it's a safe statement to make that sex is good, yes? Yes? The uh, response last night was much more boisterous, but uh, <laughs> yes. But again, think about it this way. God didn't have to design things that way, did he? He could have made sex as monotonous as you waking up and tying your shoes every morning. He could have used a handshake to procreate. Greetings in churches would be far different than they are today if that was the case. <laughs> But he didn't. He gave us the gift of sex to be enjoyed within the confines of marriage. And it's a good gift and a gift that we need to be thankful for. Well, men, one of the foundational ways you can honor your marriage is to make sure that you have a healthy and godly sex life at home. Our second point this morning is this. Understand why sex matters so much. Didn't know you were coming to the sex talk this morning, did you? 
Understand why sex matters so much. And it does. Again, it's something that we can become so commonplace with that it just loses its significance. I was thinking about pocket change, right? This weekend I was out and, and about and came home and, and I had used some cash and I pulled pocket change out of my, my pocket and I set it down on the table and my first thought was, oh, I'll give that to my kids. They can put it in their piggy bank or something. Why? Because we sit there and we're like, we don't, we don't want change. What could is change anymore, Right? We're so familiar with it and, and we look at it and we value it so little that we just throw it out or stuff it in a drawer or put it in a bottle and we say, well, someday I'll take that bottle in to, to cash it out. Guys, sometimes that's sex in our marriages. It's become so commonplace. We, we don't give enough attention to it, enough thought to it. It's something that we do when, when the occasion arises, but outside of that, we don't really ever stop to thank God for the gift or really be intentional about it the way that God wants us to be intentional about it. You think back to Genesis 2.24, and it said there that the husband and wife should become one flesh. And yes, that represents the relational and spiritual unity that takes place in a marriage, but it's also pointing to the physical unity that takes place in a marriage. That the act of sex between a man and a woman is an act of joining together, of uniting and becoming one together with the woman. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul addresses the... the, the the tra tragedy of joining together with a prostitute in that way. And he says this, do you not know, verse 16, that he who is joined to a prostitute, and how are you joined to a prostitute? Through the act of sex, yes? He who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. And then Paul goes on to say, look, you who have the Holy Spirit living with you, within you. How, how dare you is basically his point. Join even the Holy Spirit into that relationship with a prostitute through sex with somebody that is not your wife. And so sex is a big deal in the eyes of God and it's been perverted in so many different ways in our relationships even. Some different ways that God's plan for sex has been perverted in our marriages. Number one, through entitlement. Through thinking, well, I deserve this. Number two, entitlement often leads to this mentality as well, but through self-centeredness. The thinking, the sexual relationship is only about you. You being satisfied, you getting what you need out of the, the interaction. And self-centeredness often leads to number three as well, which is pornography. Which is just a total abdication of any desire for a relationship, any desire to work for sex. Number four, another perversion of God's plan for sex is withholding it. My guess is in a room like this, you've been on the receiving end of that than the giving end of that, but still, we, we can weaponize sex in our marriages, which is, again, a perversion of God's plan for it. Number five, bargaining. Using sex to get something else that you want out of the relationship. Number seven, fantasizing. There was once a line in a movie that was staggering to me when I heard it. The line was this, the highlight reel isn't cheating. The highlight reel isn't cheating. Whether that's past relationships that are going through your mind or whether that's images that you've seen. 
fantasizing during sex. Again, a perversion of God's plan for sex. Passivity. Passivity. Looking at it more as an obligation that needs to be fulfilled. And then similar to passivity, but a little bit different is, is the final one, which is laziness. Laziness. Expecting that the switch is just going to be flipped. And when you're ready to go, she's going to be ready to go. So why work at this? Let's just knock this out. Men, honestly, the majority of the counseling cases that we see in our church have something to do with one or more of these perversions in the sexual relationship. Yes, there are other things at work, but typically something on this, this list is taking place within the marriage as well. And I, I want to provide a caveat here and say I, I understand that there are cert, certain times in life and in marriages, there are certain stages of life where the sexual relationship changes or at, at times uh, is no longer able to operate, right? I, I understand that. And so what I'm about to say, I, I'm not saying in, in situations across the board like that, but I'm saying in most circumstances, given the ability of the husband and wife to engage in the sexual relationship, if there is a problem with the marriage bed, there is a problem with the marriage. And I think that's why the writer of Hebrews goes to this element. After saying, let marriage be held in honor among all, I think he turns to the marriage bed because the marriage bed is so foundational to the health of the marriage as a whole. And so, man, I want you to, to resolve this morning to take the lead in this area of, of your marriage with your wife. You need to pursue your wife and woo your wife to battle that desire to be passive or lazy. Work at this relationship with her. I told the men last night, and I'll tell you this morning too, go home to your wife tonight and make her wonder what in the world you heard at men's Bible study this morning. If you say, man, I'm not really the romantic type to woo and pursue my wife, tough, cry your river, build your bridge with your men in small groups and get over it when you go home. God has given her to you as a gift, pursue her. Understand that sex is more than the physical act that it involves the relationship between you and your wife. Maybe you have sexual sin in your life, man, that you need to repent of. Leave behind. Resolve right now. If, if there's help that you need in that process, seek the help in you need in, that you need in that process through accountability, through counseling, whatever that may be, but fight for the sexual relationship of you and your wife and redeem that part of your marriage. Honoring marriage, again, begins here. It begins with the marriage bed. And I think that, again, the, the writer of Hebrews, he's intentional with this. He doesn't go to uh, cooking, cleaning, doing the dishes, laundry, yard work, home improvement. He doesn't go to date nights, finances, communication. Are all those things important parts of, of the marriage relationship? Yeah, they are, to varying degrees maybe, but they're still important. No, the writer of Hebrews intentionally goes after the marriage bed. And again, because in most cases, not all, but in most cases, when you have a, a godly sex life at home, your marriage is most likely going to be doing pretty well for itself. But if not, in most cases, there's a short circuit somewhere in one of those areas that needs to be addressed. The writer of Hebrews continues, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for... God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Those that are defiling the marriage bed are going to come under the judgment of God is what he's saying. 
I remember as a young man hearing a sermon on 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, and it was one of the most sobering messages that I heard. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8 says this, for this is the will of God. How many times have you wondered what God's will is for your life? Here it is, and this is free. This isn't even the text that I'm preaching on this morning. This is the will of God, your what? Sanctification, your holiness. And then he goes specifically after the area of our sexual purity here. He says that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Man, I remember hearing that message and even before the passage was unpacked, feeling the weight of the the fear of God when it came to my sexual purity before him. Hearing that the Lord would be an avenger against those that are sexually immoral. Hearing that I have not been called for impurity, but in holiness. Hearing that if I disregard this, I'm not disregarding man, but disregarding God. And then we come to a passage like ours in Hebrews 13, 4, where it says that if the marriage bed is defiled in our lives, then what we have waiting for us is the fearful expectation of God's judgment against us. And it's not just here. It seems within the pages of scripture, God has a particular disdain for sexual sin, sexual immorality. Revelation 21.8, those that are left out of the kingdom of God include the sexually immoral. And not just there, but there are some other passages as well that mention the same thing, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's a fearful thing for us that we need to consider and and to think about the judgment, to think about the consequences for us if the marriage bed becomes defiled. Point number three for us this morning is this, fear the consequences of abusing God's design. Fear the consequences of abusing God's design. The Lord is an avenger in all these things. Men, all of us as believers, 2 Corinthians 5.10, are going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It says, therefore, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive what is due for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Men, if we allow our marriage beds to become defiled as believers, we will one day have to give an account before the Lord for that. But I want to redirect this fear for you from what may be natural. Because I think for most men, when we think of sexual sin, the the default is to begin to heap shame and condemnation and guilt and embarrassment upon ourselves. Which can drive us away from the response that really we desire, right? What I want us to do instead is allow this fear of the consequences of abusing God's design to produce in us a, a desire for holiness, a zeal for godliness, and God-honoring intimacy. Men, no matter where you've been, no matter the past decisions that you've made, there's hope for your marriage moving forward. God is bigger than any sexual sin that you have committed. And even as we have counseling cases and counseling situations that come before us in the church, and even in clear-cut cases of adultery, you know what the first thing that we counsel towards is? 
reconciliation. Because forgiveness can take place. Because God can do amazing things in a marriage. In fact, when Jesus talks about divorce, he says, Moses granted you certificates of divorce. And notice he doesn't in that passage say, because God wanted that. What does he say? Because of your hardness of heart. Because of your stubbornness is why God has given these two occasions where divorce may be granted in a biblical sense. I say that, men, to give you hope that no matter where you've come from, there's hope for your marriage. There's hope that your marriage can become a God-honoring marriage. There's hope that the, the marriage bed can be redeemed. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. Here we have the depiction of godly grief. Verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. What does that godly grief look like? Verse 11, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves. You've got past sexual sin. Repent from it and develop an earnestness to clear yourself of that, to say, this is no longer who I am. This is not a part of my life anymore. But also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation over that past sin, what fear of, of God that we're talking about right now, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So men, let me encourage you to rally where you've fallen short in this regard. To resolve to strengthen the weak spots in your marriage. If your sexual relationship isn't where it should be, don't be satisfied with that. Don't resign yourself to whatever it is. Ask yourself, why isn't it where it needs to be? Examine your marriage. A few questions to diagnose some of that for you. Number one, how are you doing, you, not your wife, how are you doing with your role in Ephesians chapter five? 22 through 33. How are you doing as a husband loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Sanctifying her with the love that you have for her. How are you men doing in that regard? Second, how are you doing in living with your wife in an understanding manner? That Peter calls us to, that, that patience, that that comprehension that she is different than you are, wired differently, responds differently, reacts differently, that you need to be a patient, kind, loving, strong leader with her. Third, how is your communication with her? How's your communication with her? How do you speak to her? What do you guys talk about? Fourth, how's your pursuit of her? How's your pursuit of her? It builds off communication. Are you taking an interest in your wife? Are you being intentional with her? Does she know that you value her, not just for her body, but because of who she is? Because she's your companion that God has given to you. For some of you in the room, it may feel like this part of your marriage is on life support. 
and you've all but given up on marital intimacy, and some of you may have turned to other venues for that, but I want to challenge you tonight, or this morning, sorry, to, to, to change that. To decide to change what you can change about your marriage and about your leadership. If the two of you need to come in for counseling, decide that that's what you're going to do. For the good of your marriage, you're going to come in and you're going to seek counseling. Decide this morning that there's hope for a healthy, God-honoring marriage for you. So as you think about fearing God and, and the consequences, a few things to leave behind in this. Leave behind and, and resolve this morning to leave behind. Number one is the, the pornography. If that's a part of your life. Leave, resolve this morning again today to leave it behind. If you need help in that, that battle, bring a brother into that with you. If you need counseling in that, come in for counseling. There are safeguards, but resolve today because that is a leech on a healthy marriage. It will bleed it dry. Also leave behind the, the fantasies. Entertaining thoughts about women that are not your wife. Leave behind the flirting. Sometimes there's that woman at work that there's that weird feeling about, that connection with, and she takes an interest in you and she's kind and before you know it, you're planning to walk by her desk on a regular basis. You're planning to eat lunch in the, the break room at the same time that she's eating lunch and you're thinking to yourself all the while, well, I would never do anything to put my marriage at risk, but even in that act of flirting, you are putting your marriage at risk. So leave behind the flirting. Flirt with your wives. Leave behind the manipulation. Trying to manipulate to get what you want out of your marriage. Also leave behind the passivity and the laziness. Work at your marriage. Work at your relationship with your wife. Leave behind the self-pity. Well, my relationship isn't like this relationship. My relationship doesn't have a, a, a great sexual intimacy to it. Woe is me, right? Leave behind the self-pity and start to do what you can to bring change to that. And also, finally, leave behind the resignation, the hopelessness, that this is what it is. It doesn't have to be that. Well, you don't know my marriage. No, but I know God's design for marriage. And I know that if you're a believer in Christ, that there's hope for there to be change, good change and restoration to your marriage. Instead, begin pursuing her, wooing her, serving her, investing in her, communicating with her. And also, men, begin praying. And praying, praying for your marriage, praying for these areas of your marriage, for strength, for vitality, for health. Let the marriage bed be held in honor. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Sorry, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Healthy marriages are foundational, yes? They, they have to be there. 
How many times does Moeller talk about the breakdown of marriage is key and, and a key indicator of the breakdown of society? And we're seeing that, aren't we? Men, let's make sure that there's not a breakdown of marriage in our church, yes? Let's make sure that our church is known by strong, good, godly, healthy marriages. And so for that, we need godly husbands who are going to fulfill their roles. Strong men leading their wives. Men praying for one another, holding one another accountable. And making sure that, that our marriage is doing its part to see that marriage is held in honor among all. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this text. We thank you for the gift of marriage. We thank you that it is something that you have designed for us and for our good and for our enjoyment, Lord. Forgive us for treating it so flippantly, for just taking it for granted, for it becoming so commonplace to us, God. Help us to cultivate a great awareness of its value, Lord, that it is precious to us, that it is precious in your sight, God. Lord, help us understand even that, that physical relationship, that sexual relationship between us and our wives. Lord, why it is so important, foundational to the marriage. Lord, help us to, to lead well in that area. To love our wives well in that area. And God, I pray that we would have a healthy fear of you that doesn't lead us into a corner in shame, but that drives us into wanting to pursue godliness in our marriages. Lord, help us to be strong husbands, good, godly men who our wives want to follow. And Lord, give us in this church just a, a multitude of, of amazingly healthy, good, strong examples of husbands and wives and strengthen your church through those relationships. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.